hey, yeah, that's happened. But like a lot of things happen and it's how you manage that complication that speaks to how you are as a clinician. Welcome back to the Dental Head Start podcast. My name's Erica Quinn and in this one's feature, we are joined with Dr. Kathleen Dong. Are you in love with dentistry? I'm not sure if it's a conversation we often talk about, but I'm sure it's something we all think of, but perhaps we feel the need or the pressure or the expectation to say that we do. I know personally, I enjoy dentistry. I like it. I want to be the very best dentist that I can be, but I most certainly wouldn't say that I'm obsessed and don't imagine myself doing clinical dentistry for the rest of my life. I've always said that on the podcast, I want to have conversations that are real and honest and accurate representations of what real life dentistry is like. And that includes the thoughts and dilemmas we all go through. We go through so many years of studying and over the last few months, many of my fellow classmates and colleagues have just had our graduation ceremony. So big, big congratulations to everyone on becoming official. It's an exciting time, a monumental achievement and something to really celebrate. But at the same time, I feel that as new grads, at some point in these first few months or first few years, there'll be a moment where we hit a bit of a wall. When the magic and glamour starts to fade, the music stops and the dust settles. And we're left to wonder, is this it? Is this what I want to be doing? And is this all there is? After sustaining a back injury that left her unable to work for four months, Dr. Kathleen Dong was forced to sit back and reflect on her dental journey so far. What she enjoyed and what she didn't, what was rewarding and what didn't feel worth it, what she was passionate about and what she wanted to change or pursue. And in this episode, we dive into her story. We talk about exploration and dabbling in different projects and avenues to find out what it is that we enjoy and thrive in. And we dissect this whole concept of finding fulfillment in what we do. As someone who has literally done anything and everything in dentistry, I couldn't have picked a better person than Kath for this episode. She's worked in both public and private, gone from six days to three, has been a loops rep, a podcaster, co-founded the scrubware company Jogoware. She's a clinical educator at CSU and is also a board director and the chair of the ADA New South Wales Recent Graduate Committee. This was such a fun, down-to-earth and real, raw and honest conversation. Perhaps even a personal pep talk more than anything else. But I really hope you all enjoy this conversation as much as I did. But before we get to the episode, I'm going to hand it over to Hayden Skoda to give us an update on our giving project. Hello and welcome back to Hayden's Corner. For this month's giving project, I've got with me our social media man, Hugh Dong. So Hugh, for this month's giving project, we've brought you on because we wanted to share a a worthy cause that you're passionate about. What did you choose for this month's feature? So this month's feature, I chose the Smiles Outreach Foundation, which is a non-profit organization which helps underprivileged children in different areas in Vietnam. So I'm Vietnamese and I always wanted to, as a child, go back to Vietnam and give back somehow. And now that I'm doing dentistry, I can't wait for in the future to go back and give back with my dental skills. So yeah, that's really inspired me and this charity really inspires me to look beyond just these years of dental study and all the things and impacts I can have in the future. For Hugh's charity of choice, the Smile Outreach Foundation, we at the Dental Head Start team are going to donate $1,000. At the Dental Head Start, we are honored to partner with our sponsors who are the reason our giving project exists and thrives. Please note our sponsors are not affiliated with our guests unless otherwise specified. Thank you for all your support because we genuinely couldn't do any of this without you. And without further ado, let's get on to the episode. (laughs) 
Dr. Kathleen Dong, welcome to the Dental Head Start Podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you on this show because I've been quietly following your journey along the way, seeing all the things that you're involved in. And I think your story in particular, I resonate a lot with, perhaps because I see myself in (laughs) your story or your early years. And I really want to dive into, I guess, your journey so far and what's brought you to where you are today. Yeah, awesome. I'm I'm um, a bit flattered to hear that you you see yourself <laughs> in it. It's been a a bit of an interesting journey, but I'm I'm happy to share it. How does it feel to be on the other side of the microphone today? Because usually you're on the you're the one hosting them. <laughs> it feels really nice. I'm not going to lie that I don't have to worry about I guess all the all the things that are happening in the background. So I appreciate that to ask me to be a guest today. Yeah, well, that's our side of it. So we're going to look after all of that. You're here just to, you know, sit back, relax (laughs) and share your stories. Kath, I wanted to start off our conversation, winding it all the way back to when you were a wee little child, (laughs) little baby Kathleen Zong. And I wanted to ask you, do you remember when you were in primary school and you'd start the beginning of the year and then ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? Do you remember what you said back then? Oh, yeah. Yeah, nothing at all related to dentistry. So I, as a child, was so into games. Like I loved my Game Boy Color. And I, at the time, was so obsessed with with like my, my Game Boy, my PlayStation at the time. I wanted to really work in tech. And at the time, in my mind, that was just working for Sony. So I told my <laughs> That's parents, all that existed. yeah, exactly. And I told my parents, I was like, I really want to work for Sony. So I did what every normal child, this is not normal at all, but I was like, okay, I'm going to study Japanese. I'm going to just be like really good at maths. I was terrible at maths, by the way. I'm just oh going to, yeah, I was like, I'm just going <laughs> to, I'm going to work in tech and I'm going to get to play games for free and it's going to be an awesome career. So that was like my first initial thought. And then I guess to add on to that, obviously, the older I grew, I realized I was terrible at math. So I was like, okay, that's really not going to go. And I realized that obviously I was better at English. <laughs> so I, I, I wanted to be a writer, honestly, like a journalist of some description and, and work in media. So that, that was my, I guess, my early years. I, I always wanted to do something creative. And yeah, I wanted to work in media, something to do with, with tech, media, music, that sort of stuff. Would you have say that was throughout primary school or throughout high school or whenabouts was that? Oh, uh, honestly, it, it it was through primary and early high school. So I, up until the age of 15, dentistry really was never on my radar. <laughs> I think if people sort of who knew me from high school probably were surprised that I ended up doing dentistry actually. I think it's the exact same for me, honestly, Kath, like hearing that story you have, I remember like the first day of dental school, they'd ask like, oh, who's wanted to be a dentist? And you always have like one or two kids in the class that they're like, ever since they were five years old, they've wanted to be a dentist. I'm like, no, not me. I very much like you wanted to be a writer. (laughs) So throughout primary school, I was always like, oh, I wanted to be an author. I wanted to write books. And then I was told by my mom that I would never make money (laughs) doing that. Oh, and so I was like, "All right, time to think of something." Dreams different. were crushed so Dreams early. Were crushed early. <laughs> but then, yeah, how did you find yourself then switching into that thought of pursuing dentistry? 
So I guess to backtrack a little bit, I did a lot of music in school. So I can play quite a few different instruments. And so in school, all I did was music. And at the time, I really wanted to become some form of creative director at the time. So I guess sort of marrying, you know, I loved photography, I liked music, I liked writing, I liked video, you know, all that sort of stuff. So I was like, oh, creative director sounds like it would tick the box. And then I remember thinking, do I really want something that I really like doing day to day as a hobby to be my job? By the way, I was obviously a 15 year old who like thought a lot about life, clearly, like having these deep thoughts. And I thought, is this something that I really want to do? It's my hobby. If I make it my job, will I still like it? I had this, oh, it sounds so dramatic, but I had this like crisis at 15 because in year 10, it's when they do the careers testing, they do personality testing, and they, they, they do the whole, what do you want to do for the rest of your life, you know? And now that I look back on why they asked that question so early, I didn't know. And so at the time, I really was stuck. And we had to do work experience in year 10, as I'm sure a lot of people do. And I had such a lovely dentist. And I decided to do work experience with him after a really terrible work experience time at an accountant firm. Where that I just, sounds awful. Yeah, look, it really, I'm not sure why I did that, but it just clearly didn't click. So then I did it yeah. at, at my dentist and he really made it something that I wanted to do. I don't know what it was, but everything that whole day, all his patients loved him. It was just everything flowed so well. And he got to talk to all these different types of people. And he was so skilled at what he did. And he had such a great team. I was just like, this actually seems pretty good. And so we also had a family friend who had a few practices and, and, you know, she also made quite an impression on me that it's a great job for a female as well, in the sense that it's super flexible. And it's something that I would like because it's hands-on. And because I love photography at the time, she's like, you still get to do that. And it's such a, you know, stable and in a way, a very fulfilling career. And so I was like, oh my gosh, sign me up. Like impressionable 15 year old. I'm someone handed me a ticket. I was like, yeah, I'll take that. That sounds awesome. So, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, for, you know, forget the 10 years of all the other stuff I wanted to do for, you know, however long it'd been, you know, I'd, I was already studying Japanese at this point. I was writing, you know, all that sort of stuff. Forget that. I just took this and ran with it and I never looked back. That's literally what happened. I, I was just a, in the moment kind of, this is what I, I should be doing. Okay. Sounds awesome. Let's do it. <laughs> Oh my goodness. So we've kind of taken you back in like the time machine to back to 15 year old Kath, where this was when you decided dentistry was what you wanted to pursue. You abandoned those 10 years of all your dreams of being a writer, being a game producer. Looking back now, now you're in going into your sixth or seventh year of working, right? Did dentistry live up to what 15 year old you thought it would be? <laughs> and do you still ever think of those dreams that you had as a child? Oh, yeah, that's a tough question, isn't it? I don't think it lived up to what I thought. And the reason is because I was incredibly green, very naive. I just thought, you know, it was all just going to be so rosy and I was just going to, you know, be a dentist, potentially be a specialist because, you know, in first year, everyone thinks they're going to be a specialist of some description, right? I was like, yeah, I'm just going to be some awesome dentist slash specialist and it's all just gonna be you know amazing and then you quickly realize when you graduate that it's just not that easy like I then realized my dentist made it look so easy and obviously you forget that he's had so many years of experience <laughs> but you know you just see the easy part and you never saw all the years that he's put in to get to that point 
And I remember when I first started working, I was like, this is hard. This is really hard. So no, it's not quite what I expected. And to answer your question about whether I still think about doing all the other things. Yeah, I think I do. I don't think you ever forget the things that you really love as a hobby. It may be that I didn't turn it into a job and, and this, that's probably for a good reason. But yeah, I still love doing those things. And, and, and in my spare time, I still find ways to have those creative outlets. And I think that's what, you know, I, I love the quote, variety is a spice of life, because I think you know, I, I love variety. It's what keeps me going. So yeah, I still think about it. I still do it. It's still an outlet for me, but yeah, it's, it's just not a job. So I wonder whether or not yeah, your comment about whether or not they would be good things to pursue a career in, you know, who knows whether it's a good idea or not. But the other day I was talking to a friend just about this whole concept of just balancing work and life. And she said that you know, in her first year, she really struggled as well to do find joys and hobbies outside of dentistry and she came across a talk or a video or someone who said if you want to be happy do what you did at 10 years old that made you happy like do what made you happy at 10 years old and she's like dancing (laughs) so then she started dancing and now she finds it so much so much joy and so much fun in it and so that kind of just reminded me of that when you made that comment about finding those creative outlets outside of dentistry but yes your comment about how you know, once you graduated and started exploring the big world of dentistry, how it wasn't necessarily what you thought it would be. I guess that's really the heart of what I was hoping our conversation would really be today. And we'll slowly dive into it. But we've both said that we really want to share this with all our listeners. They're all, you know, listeners are dental students, new grads who are really going through it right now. I'm going into my fourth month. It's crazy. It's already been (laughs) three whole months. Um, It goes by so quickly, but I'm already starting to see, you know, the cracks forming where you're like, oh, this is what I got myself into. (laughs) And I don't think we hear people talk honestly enough about it. Or perhaps we often hear, and even on the podcast, we were both talking off recording before about it as well, is oftentimes you hear senior dentists or seasoned dentists come on the show and they talk about their journey. But having been through it for so many years, you kind of forget all the little moments throughout it and you only see or recall the best of I think it's similar to now if I were to talk to a high school student I'd be like go enjoy high school high school is the best time of your life but um when we went through it it was (laughs) miserable at times right yeah what do you feel oh I think like honestly speaking dental school was not easy for me to start with And this goes back to the point of, you know, I think some people and, you know, when I've read certain things about, you know, people do believe that certain personalities perhaps are more suited to certain careers or certain subjects and you just naturally excel in certain areas, right? And and coming from perhaps a more like someone who was better at music and English and, you know, humanities subjects and Mm -hmm. having never done chemistry at all, then going to (laughs) dentistry... In my first, mm-hmm. year, I struggled. In my first year, I think I wanted to just leave. Shout out to my uni friends who kept me in it because I, I struggled in my first year. I just wanted to bail. And it was only in my second year where I got to start treating patients and actually having that, you know, face-to-face sort of application of what I was learning theoretically. Did I really start to enjoy it? But before that, oh, no, no. Nah. It was a it was a no go. It was so hard, and and sort of extrapolating that into my first year, I took on a lot really quickly. So you know, I was working five days a week in public. 
I was working one day in private and then I was also, this is really random, but I was a, a church organist on a Sunday because I wanted to keep my creative outlet job. And that was like seven days. And I was just, I just thought to myself, I can fit it all in. You know, I'm a sprightly 22 slash 23 year old. I can do this. No, no, I burnt out really quickly. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? It's it's just one of those things. Of course, you, you think you can do all this sort of stuff, but it's all about pacing. And I didn't know that. So yeah, it was difficult. It's almost like a common trend I think we see as well. Like when you look at the dental students, my friends and I used to always have this joke. I think in second year was when we picked up on it because second year is probably where you're kind of cruising. You're you're not the newbie, you know where you're where you are, but you're not that far or that deep in <laughs> where you've got all that pressure and stress on you. But we'd sit there like in the lunchroom and then you just be people watching and you're like, you can tell that's a first year because they just have that excitement <laughs> and that enthusiasm about them they're involved in everything they're part of the committees they're at all the social events and then you see a zombie walk past and you're like oh that's a final year we don't approach them <laughs> you can see the the deadness in their eyes and I think it kind of is similar once you graduate as well, where, you know, when you first start off, there's that excitement of, I want to do everything much like what you just said. Like you want to be um, working, you want to be out there doing everything and anything involved in absolutely everything. The shininess quickly wears off when you realize that this is now your every day. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. I actually, I really thought I could do it. That's, that's the funniest part. And, you know, you go from seeing two patients a day and I was seeing a lot more <laughs> like in, in public, I was seeing a lot more. And then I was just thinking to myself, how good was it seeing two patients a day? Like, why was I even stressed about that? And, you know, there were times where I, I remember my first day I was getting, I was doing a checkup for a patient and I realized there was no tutor to check my odontogram. And I honestly spent five minutes looking at my shoulder, wondering where the tutor was. Like that's how, yeah. that's how funny it was. I was just like, oh, 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 wait, no, that's just me. Okay. I'm the one doing this. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's a massive transition for sure. I remember my first day um, when I didn't have the tutor looking over my shoulder, it was just my DA. And then she was the one reassuring me. She's like, Erica, I think that's a good treatment plan. I'm like, thank you. I really needed that reassurance on your very first day. I want to dive into your early years um, in just a moment, but just bringing it back to your dental school experience and you mentioned really struggling in your first few years and then kind of finding your feet as the years went by, you're now a clinical educator for the same uni, right? And yeah. I believe it's Charles Sturt, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And we have to obviously give a shout out to Charles Sturt and this is a special request from Hayden, who's our editor, um, because he's also a final year at Charles Sturt. He's like, Erica, you have to talk to Kathleen about it and make sure we put Charles Sturt on the map. <laughs> 100%. But yes, tell me about it. And what has your experience been, I guess, now being on the other side of it, where you're tutoring students and who were in the position that, you know, not so long ago you were in? Yeah, it's honestly a real privilege to be able to do it. I think I told a student the other day, and I think they thought I was joking, but I often joke about this, that I would do it even if I wasn't paid to do it. Now the uni mm -hmm. probably doesn't want to hear that and probably shouldn't tell them <laughs> that, but I really find it a privilege. And the reason is because I feel so happy to be able to share, I guess, the real world <laughs> tips that I've learned. A lot of the times I think, you know, in fifth, at least in fifth year for me, there were so many things I wish that 
I guess I, I would have learned that were more applicable in, in real life clinical situations. For example, how to communicate to a patient, how to manage that patient. I didn't realize how important that was until I was working. I just always thought, oh my gosh, does my feeling look really good? Or, or have I done the right, you know, have I done the right case? Have I done the right treatment planning or whatever it was? I never really paid as much attention to how I was managing the patient. And there are all these little nuances that I wish I was told small things like posture, like have I even got the patient the right, you know, in the right position? So my back and neck is not going to just give out on me, which we can dive into later, which it did. But, you know, like stuff, small things like that and, and just little tips and tricks to make their life easier. I just want them to have an easier time of their first few years compared to, you know, what you might normally get. And and that to me, I love doing. So I really love teaching and you know my poor students may go through it when I have like a real like you know stone face and I'm trying not to show whether I'm happy or not <laughs> but but you know I, I love to see the improvement and I I really love to to help you know help with that sort of side of things to keep it real basically. Did teaching come naturally to you or do you feel like it was also a skill that you had to learn to how to encourage these students or how to give them good feedback was that something that took a bit of time to get used to or it came naturally? Well, to be honest with you, part of it was naturally, but a lot of it was also trying to find the right nuance be- between being too front. I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty upfront and, and being a little bit more like nuanced and encouraging. One of my best friends is also a tutor at the same place. So, you know, I, I try to find the balance of, you know, she's really nice and there's another tutor who's like really nice as well. So I try to be a little bit more upfront. Oh, so you're the scary one, are you? Oh, look, do we want to say scary or do we want to just say keep it real? Cause I like to say keep it real. No, no I'm, I'm, You're the real one. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm, I'm kidding. I, I would like to say I'm, I'm tough, but fair in, in an honest way. And it, and it's never about putting someone down. For me, it's just like, I just want them to get better so that when they go out next year, they feel super confident. That's what I want. And as close as they can to be ready, that's all I wish for. And I hope they have a really good time. That's what I want. So I think the hardest part for me has been trying to find that little like nuanced approach and on being a little bit perhaps more encouraging. <laughs> but 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 um, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. So, you know, it, it's, it's a bit of tweaking, but at the end of the day, I think, I think all my students know I mean well, so that's what matters. It's tough love. It's yeah. the <laughs> tiger mom approach of it, hey? <laughs> what I want, what I think is really interesting though is, you know, going from being a student where you have a clinical educator looking over your shoulders and telling you what's right or wrong and giving you literally every scenario, there was always a right answer. It didn't matter that like, you know, every clinical educator had a different opinion. Like for you at that moment in time, there was a right or wrong answer. But then once you graduate and you're working on your own, there's no longer that, I guess, fallback. Like it's on you. You're the one making the judgment calls, how good it is, whether you place the matrix correct or whether you've got a good enough contact, like you're making that judgment call yourself. And I guess it's up to you what kind of dentistry yeah. you want to do. Yeah, I think I think that's the thing that people perhaps forget. And I, I find that at least in uni, 
a lot of the times you may be a little bit spoon fed and not realize like some sometimes things are really just handed to you on a platter perhaps the patient is very nice and tailored to students and that in itself is 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 you know a, a really nice time of things you don't often get that in 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 real life private practice you get all sorts of different types of people walk in and not just quote unquote suitable for students right and so a lot of the times at least now that I'm on the educator side of things I always ask my students like you know don't ask me what I think like what do you think you know I always say you know they'd be like is that okay and then I always flip it back I'm like if you think it's okay do it and and they're always just taken aback like really it's like yeah you're the one you're the one who's going to be treating next year get used to it you know I always try to get them to get used to it so yeah I think that's really important for sure you need to get used to that aspect because once you leave dental school it's just you there's that part of it as well. And then I think it's the also the problem-solving abilities. I think one of the downsides of being so spoon-fed at uni as well, and this is, I guess, my reflections having recently transitioned, is that because we have that safety net, you almost don't learn to problem-solve. I remember recently doing an episode on just, oh, how to, do, how to section a tooth. <laughs> because all throughout dental school, we never learned, we never got any surgical experience. And as soon as we inevitably snapped a tooth root, because none of us knew how to luxate properly either, um, you get ushered out of the room and then the tutor comes in, they take over and you never learn how to really solve that problem. But then now working in private practice, I've got a lot of friends that are in the same boat where they're you know, learning how to do like how to do a surgical extraction and how to section teeth because it's a skill that we need to learn. Similarly, simple things like oh, detecting caries on a bite wing and just being able to see that. Or, okay, what happens if you're doing a crown prep and then you nick the adjacent tooth or you're removing caries and then you pulpal expose? I've had friends talk to me about how they feel so incompetent because in dental school, that's a critical error. If you pulp expose, that's like a fail, you get told off. And there's all that fear that gets ingrained within you. But in real life, these things happen. And I guess, you know, you have to learn how to adapt and problem solve those situations. Did you feel that similar way yourself? Or now that you're on the other side of the how do you try to, I guess? Yeah, I, th- I think that, I think, mm-hmm. I think for sure as a student, like I was always mm-hmm. scared of the pulp and, th- and that's, that's, that's every student I've realized, you know, like, mm-hmm. oh, there's caries there, but like, I don't want to go into pulp and, you know, you say, mm-hmm. but there's caries, you know, and they're, oh, but I don't yeah. want to go into pulp. Mm-hmm. Um, no, that's, <laughs> I've, I felt the same way as a student and I, I agree, mm-hmm. you, you know, as a student, you're, you're trying your very best to pass right? Mm-hmm. You, you are really trying to just get to the finish line. And, and all those things that make you feel insecure, of course they do. You're still learning and you don't really see the bigger picture of things like, hey, yeah, that's happened. But like a lot of things happen. And it's how you manage that complication that speaks to how you are as a clinician. If you just stand there and you just throw your hands in the air, like, oh my gosh, it's just over. Well, that's not great, is it? Like the fact that it happened is not the problem. The fact that you threw your hands up is the issue, right? So if you manage it and you're like, okay, that happened, but we're going to fix it. And yeah, things happen all the time. It's just how you respond. So I think on the educator side of things, I always tell my tell my students, I'm like, you know, I'm not here to fail you. Like if things happen, it's okay. Yeah, it, as long as you learn from it. So if, for example, you do something and then you've miscarries or whatever, yeah, that's not great. But if next week you show me that, you've learned from that and you, and you now know what, what it looks like. That's awesome. That's what we're here for. You know, I'm not here to, you know, be like, wow, that's just terrible. You know, you just can't do, you know, you do you even know what carries is. 
Do you know what I mean? Like that's not helpful. The, the helpful part is being able to be like, okay, you know that it's an issue and if you can take the feedback and then, you know, probably reflect on, okay, I actually don't know that. Let me go and figure that out a bit more. And week by week you get a bit better. That's really great in my opinion. So I think it just takes time. Some people learn faster in those aspects. Some people learn slower or in a different way. And it's just about finding what works for that individual person. And, you know, when I was studying, if I read a bunch of things, it really didn't really sink in. It was only until I did the practical stuff where I was just like, oh, okay, I get it, you know. So it's just everybody's so different. And I don't think that that mentality of just like being scared you know, it is helpful, but we all go through it. <laughs> so it's, it's normal is what I'm trying to say. As a new grad, I had to register with an indemnity insurer in order to practice and having loads of options didn't make that any easier. When I came across Dental Protection Limited, they made it easy for me to sign up with them with their streamlined registration process and they also had heaps of added bonuses for signing up, like webinar events, workshops, and various online learning. Dentistry is hard, and the stress of patient complaints can add to the everyday stress. Knowing I have DPL behind me every step of the way makes me feel confident stepping into work. If you want to feel like someone has your back going into work, you should give DPL a chance and discover what they can do for you. like then when you graduated and you worked public first for the first few years is that right? Yeah so I worked at Westmead for my first year out and I worked a private job on Saturdays. Yeah it was a really really good first job like I'm eternally grateful for the experience that I had there but I will say it was tough and by that I mean it was long hours now, you know, in public, I think people just assume that it's just, it's chill in a way, right? Like you finish at four or whatever it was in, or five, but we were just working so hard because there were so many patients to see. And I was young and fresh and I was ready to just work really hard, you know, and I would see as many patients as I could. I would really give my all to every single patient to the point where I think when I got home, I was just utterly exhausted you know, our day started at eight or whatever it was, but we'd get there at seven thirty, and at in the evening we end at five, but I wouldn't be leaving till like six or six thirty, just writing all my notes. And, you know, as, as a great, you, you just write really excellent notes, which is awesome. But at the time it was handwritten. <laughs> so I was just like writing essays until my hand was so sore. It was tough, you know, and, and there were times where I just went home thinking I was the worst dentist ever because I just placed a terrible, terrible filling or I broke a tooth and I didn't know how to get it out or, you know, I thought I perforated, but I actually didn't because I didn't even know what that was. And someone had to tell me that, you know, you didn't actually, you know, there were so many times where I just couldn't deal. (laughs) It was tough. And then on top of that, at Westmead, we got rotated to different uh, departments. And I think one of our first rotations was actually in the special needs uh, and medically compromised clinic. And I was there with one of my close friends from uni and we just found it tough because we didn't know how to get consent even, you know, so simple things like that. We There were so many different factors that they don't teach you at uni and we were just really struggling. But I think over time, you just, you just do, you know, you just, you just get on with it and somehow it just starts to work. (laughs) I can't explain it, but it just happens. 
Well, I was going to ask you to take me back to those moments, for example, when you're like, oh, you've you snapped a root or you think you've perforated a tooth and just what was going through your head? Because but when you said that before, it just reminded me, literally, I think this is in my first, it's a, it's an ongoing, <laughs> an ongoing thing. But um, I think it was in my first month, I saw my patient and I did a really deep restoration for him. And I was like, this is going to play up. I told him, I'm like, guaranteed this is going to play up. Sure enough, a few days later, he calls me. He's like, Erica, like, it's really sore. It's really sensitive. I'm like, okay, came back in. We extirpated it, but it was, it was like, obviously really hyperemic, right? So extirpated, couldn't really see what I was doing. It was a four or five. And I'm like, I think I found birth canals. I'm not sure if I did. <laughs> and I remember going back home and just literally having just nightmares about like did I perforate it can you perforate a four five like can you perforate a lower premolar looking up the anatomy of it trying to remember it and then I called my patient and he was just like oh I'm fine like it's a little bit sensitive but it's a lot better than what it was and then I saw him I think two weeks ago re-accessed it and I'm like oh I can see things clearly now we haven't perforated anything it's fine (laughs) it's all good but it just reminds me of that fear that cold sweat you have when you're still trying to figure things out I agree and I had so many of them in my first year and people can definitely relate to this feeling you do it and in the moment it's all just happening and then you you just like okay let me temp it or whatever it is that you're doing and you go home you finish your notes and you're driving in the car or on the train and you're just thinking like did I do this but then your recollection is not actually quite what happened and you start imagining things and then as you go home and sleep you can't really sleep because you're thinking about this this damn procedure <laughs> that you just did during the day and then you just like or maybe it's just us Eric I don't know but then you maybe know, it's just us yeah and then the next day you're like oh man I hope it was okay was it okay was it not okay like and now I can't reach this patient to ask if it's okay and then you're just waiting and then you know when they come back it's fine like you said, it's all good, right? I mean, I was like this in dental school. I, I thought I prepped the cavity upside down and I was sweating about it for ages. <laughs> and then it came back and I remember, you know, the comment was like, great prep. And I was like, did I just spend a week like freaking out over over this? And it was fine. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it is like that. Did you feel like it just passed with time and just experience or did you find ways to kind of actively help you out of those um, moments? Um, I think it's, I think to manage this, it's, you know, there's a few different things in it. So the first is definitely time and experience. As you get more comfortable doing the procedures, you achieve more predictable results. Fair. So if you, if you do more of them and, and, you know, it always is reasonably okay. And you develop a, a protocol that works in your hands, of course, and whatever is evidence-based that you, on the procedure that you're doing, obviously. So that in, in itself, yeah, it does get better. But the second thing is also, I've learned to not dissociate that fear or that anxiety that I feel, but actually accept it as a form of, as I see it, a positive thing that I really care about the patient. So it's not, and it's no longer a negative thing. It's more just like, oh, actually, you know what? It's good that I care. And I, and I leave it at that. I don't think any further than that point. I just, oh, it, okay. I'm feeling that way, but you know what? It's great that I care and I stop it there. And then the third thing that I've really found is helpful is it's so much easier said than done, but the minute I leave the clinic, unless I have to plan a case, I don't think about it because the biggest thing and the biggest lesson I've learned is if, if it's something that's out of my control, I don't worry about it. 
And this is actually something that new grads should learn as well. It includes things like running late. You stressing out about running five to 10 minutes late for your procedure is probably going to make you run even later because you're going to do something that's going to stuff up whatever you're doing because you're stressed. Whereas if you just took the five to 10 minutes that you're running late, because you can't control that, you still have to finish it and just do the procedure, you'll probably run you know, only five to 10 minutes late as opposed to half an hour late because you were stressing about running five to 10 minutes late. So everything that is out of my control, I don't stress about. It's that simple. Everything that's within my hands that I can control is something that I can stress about. For example, is this line angle good or not? Yeah, that's on me, right? But if I'm running late or the patients or whatever it is that's outside of me, there's no point. And I just don't think about it. And I just, you know, concentrate on myself. And that's just how it is. It's funny, actually, it just reminds me of two stories. I had two friends, also like new grads, and they were telling me one of them was saying in a very similar sense to what you said, that there's no point stressing for the two weeks leading up to an appointment, because what happens if that patient doesn't end up coming or something happens? You've just spent two weeks stressing about it, right? That was one, one of my friends said that. And then the other day, one of my best friends was telling me how she was getting ready to do her very first surgical extraction. And she'd spent literally two weeks planning it, speaking with all her mentors, stressing about it. Um, she was all ready. And then the patient ended up getting them taken out by someone else. <laughs> <laughs> but it's 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 very much like that you're like there's only so much you can do that's within your control but then you know you stressing all so, about so it so the planning part of what she did yeah, was the awesome was part but the, yes. the, the anxiety of the other stuff and you yeah know, it's normal to feel that way I think it's super valid mm-hmm. and she should feel that way but it's when it gets mm-hmm. excessive where it starts to like take over you think about mm-hmm. it non-stop and sometimes you can't help it but there are like yeah. I said ways of managing it and talking mm-hmm. like to you as a friend or mm-hmm. other people really helps to alleviate that as well so that you're not constantly thinking about it to yourself. hundred <laughs> yeah. percent. One of the things that I really miss from dental school is the lunchroom rants. <laughs> How after a clinical session, everyone would just gather in the lunchroom, all your friends and everyone would talk about like, oh, what went right, what went wrong. And you're just really unfiltered uncensored (laughs) and you just vented and everyone could relate to one another but I feel like that's really much like what you said earlier about your friends helping you get you through dental school and I think one of the hardest things about then going into full-time work is oftentimes you may be amongst experienced clinicians where they don't relate to it anymore because yeah like they don't stress about those things anymore or you're the only solo clinician there and then you don't have the perspective of what everyone else is doing I guess yeah I wanted your thoughts on that and just taking me through what you feel like your first year was as you continue to gain more experience and how you felt yeah I think that's true and especially true in private practice obviously my first year was in public so we actually had a lot of people who were in the same boat and everyone would have those lunchroom checks actually so I was fortunate about that but I can see from a private practice perspective it can be quite lonely a good way to combat that is really to aside of your uni friends to I guess also be a part of membership organizations like ADA and and really connecting with your fellow younger dentists and even perhaps finding a mentor. I know that, you know, ADA runs a mentorship program or even, you know, if you have a local mentor, you're 
you know, that you can connect with, just to have that colleague to bounce off and just to be really candid with is something that's so underappreciated, I think, you know, just to have a chat. It doesn't have to be clinical. It's just about, hey, I just had a really hard day. You know, this was this was tough. And, you know, and someone who relates to that is is so special and so valuable. So I did that in my first year. You know, I, I was always chatting to my colleagues or chatting to my friends about it. And we all just, you know, shared our battle experiences. <laughs> it was it was one of those. And, and we really got through that together. But I, I would say developing that support network is so helpful. And, and, and let's say, you know, if you don't have that, finding that within a program, like a structured mentorship program like that is helpful, or, or even just, you know, going to these CPD events and just you know, having those those moments with young other young dentists to talk about it um, and being open about it. I think, you know, sometimes everyone just wants to talk about the same thing and it just takes one person to be like, hey, I had a hard day too. <laughs> but exactly. I think everyone's scared of being the first one to admit that, oh, this didn't go to plan. And I think the world of social media is both a blessing and a curse in that it's so great that you get to see all these cases that people share. But oftentimes, you know, the person that's posting things up on social media is that's the best case of their day. It's the highlights reel, but people aren't candidly sharing you know, the things that went wrong as they would in the lunchroom where things are, you know, not publicized. But that's what's important because not everything is always the, you know, sunshine, rainbows, glitz and glamour. 100%. Yeah, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. How did you continue, I guess, developing yourself as a grad then? Because I think once you leave the structured curriculum of dental school or schooling education and in, enter in, um, real world and real life practice, it's entirely dictated by you. And I think everyone grows at a different pace. I know even me amongst with my friends, we have people that are already doing big major courses. There are others that are taking it easy. And I think it's easy to feel like you're falling behind or that you're not doing enough. How did you feel and how did you continue to your progress your own growth yeah I think that's so true isn't it and to your point about social media because it's so readily available and because you can so easily see what everyone is doing that is both awesome and terrible for 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 a lot of people but for me personally I I guess in my first year as I mentioned to you I was so keen like I I can't even express how keen I was um, aside of working seven days a week, I was, you know, ready to be a specialist. And I couldn't tell at the time whether that was going to be PEDS. We had an awesome PEDS rotation at Westmead or whether it was going to be perio. And now if I, you know, mention that to my friends, you know, they would laugh at me thinking, really, you, you wanted to do special. It, it is shocking to them now. But I mean, at the time it was all I ever wanted to do. So I guess the rate of progression for me was I decided to just sign myself up for CPD courses where I knew I was weak. And there's this, there's this, I guess, school of thinking for some people where it's, you know, you try and upskill your weaknesses so that you feel confident enough that you don't feel scared when you do those procedures. Or there's a school of thought where it's focused on your strengths so that you get even better at them because that's what you're naturally inclined to like. And that's how you'll like your job more by, you know, getting better at the stuff that you're good at. Well, I tried to do the what first. Did you fall into? I tried to do the first thing where I was like, you know yeah. what, I'm going to be well rounded. You know, I suck at endo. Well, I thought I did. <laughs> I was going to say the same. Yeah, I thought I thought <laughs> I did. Right? I guess I didn't. I wasn't that bad. But in my mind, it was all doom and gloom. I was like, you know what, 
I thought I perforated once in my second week. I must suck at endo. I'm going to spend thousands on endo. And that's what I did. I did all these endo courses in my first year and I did a bunch of different CPD. I spent a decent amount of money actually doing that. And only to come to the conclusion in my second and third year that, yeah, yeah, I still wasn't a fan and I just much preferred to do exos. So I was like, okay, well, now I'm like pretty comfortable doing endos. That's great, but still don't love it. (laughs) So that's how I did my CPD. I I tried to focus on what I was weak at. But I think I, I had a really good piece of advice from, I can't remember who it was, but they were like, you know, only focus on a few different topics, I guess, or one or two things a year. I think as a new grad, you kind of just want to CPD everything. Like just sign me up for it all, you know, composite veneers, porcelain veneers, like surgical exos, endo, everything, right? And then you realize that after you've done the course, you kind of need the patient or the case to apply that or that knowledge is just not as concrete in your brain. So I found that actually. I was learning all these quote-unquote advanced endo techniques And then I thought to myself, I don't even have a perf that I can repair with MTA. And then, and then I thought to myself, hang on, I don't even have MTA at my practice. (laughs) You know, like this is awesome to learn. But then I was like, I don't even have this at my practice. You know, so so then I realized, okay, I need to find some CPD that is actually going to be clinically relevant and applicable. Otherwise, it was just it was leaving my brain the minute that it came in because I couldn't apply it. So that's why that, that was where I sort of realized, okay, let me take a few steps back and just like figure out CPD that I can actually learn and then apply. So then I realized I was doing, you know, more potentially at the time I was working private. So I was doing, you know, starting to do a bit more cosmetic cases like composite veneers. So I signed up to, you know, just a short course about aesthetics and yeah, that was the most helpful one of the year. And it was a short one. And I finally learned about line angles and, you know, um, different shades and things. It was so simple, but it was so applicable. And even just like different matrix hacks and things. So good. And I remember, you know, we'd done the Australian Dental Graduate of the Year stuff and there were a few little mini residencies. And I did that with Dave. And yeah, that, that was so helpful as well. Just different little tips and tricks. And it was so funny. I remember being like, man, I just spent like thousands of dollars and I haven't been able to apply this stuff. And then, you know, these courses are a lot cheaper or whatever it was, but they're so applicable. So I was like, oh, I got to rethink where I'm spending my very limited money after uni. So yeah, that's, that's how I grew is just building on basic blocks to try and get better. I realized, okay, how do I get my, my feelings just more efficient and better? And how, how will that affect my practice? And then I think another thing was I invested in a a DSLR really early. I always liked photography, as I mentioned earlier. So I was like, I'm going to invest in a camera straight away because then I can take more photos. And it it just made me progress so much faster because I could just see, okay, this looks terrible here or this looks really good here or whatever it was, you know, and it was such a great way to communicate to patients. And, And that was a big, big winner for me and learning how to do that. And then bit by bit, I would figure out, okay, I really like doing this procedure or I do a lot of this procedure in my practice. How do I get better at that one? So then I would do that. So that's how I slowly built. I was actually trying to, I I felt like I was doing the wrong thing. I was doing, you know, CPD for cases that I didn't actually get to see in my practice. And instead of doing CPD for the things I was actually doing, (laughs) you know what I mean? Yeah. Definitely. I feel like that's very much been my I guess dilemma as well, like just starting off and you get, you hear what everyone else is doing as well. And it's, I know 
you don't want to compare. <laughs> but when you hear what everyone else is doing, you always feel like, am I not doing enough? Why am I not doing, you know, a a residency in this or doing a short course in that and getting a diploma in this, that and the other. But for me, my attitude has kind of been like, right now, I don't know what I don't know. And I am learning so many different things that dental school never taught me, right? Like a lot of things you learned the theory in dental school, but then once you start practicing it's just you got to do it and I think a lot of times a lot of it just comes with experience like you said you may not necessarily need to do an advanced endo course because you think you perforated a tooth you just need to do more endos until you know what endo is like right and so I feel like that's kind of what I've been doing where I'm like I'm just going to gather the experience just learning seeing that volume of patients and then slowly start tapping in into areas that I feel like I'm lacking it's it's so not a race I think I think you know you get caught up in the fact that like you said so many people are doing xyz long course and you know you might be first year out and doing implants great for you it wasn't for me like that was I was not even thinking that far ahead I was just trying to do my basic stuff well you know so and everyone's at a different pace and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that and you'll find that there are things that you excel in that someone else doesn't and that's perfectly fine or there are things that you're not so good at and someone else is good at everyone's so different and the key is that if you keep looking at others you're never going to progress anywhere because there's always going to be someone who's doing more than you always. And, and that is just not helpful to your growth. So if you just focus on yourself and you're just like, and it's so cliche, I know, but you know, okay, how, okay, this, I'm not, you know, exactly. It's like how, okay, how do I get a little bit better at this? And even that small amount of progress, you'll feel like you're moving. That's all. I was going to ask you when you were talking about like investing into a DSLR early on and then documenting your work, what is your workflow, I guess, with it? Because I have a camera that I use for all my new patients, which I find really good to take photos, bring it up on the computer screen and we talk it out and it's such a game changer. But then I feel like I don't document enough during my procedures, even just doing my fillings. And I know I should, but I feel like you get so just stuck in drilling and filling and then you, to take, you know, go pick up your camera, you have to take your gloves off and go do that. I don't know. Maybe I just need to <laughs> no, stop no, making no, no, excuses no. and build I, a habit. No. But I, how do you do it? I, you know, to be honest with you, I hats off to the people who can do that for every single stage, like, you know, cavity prep, oh, sorry, pre-prep, pre-op, and then mid-prep and then post-op. And then, you know, all the different stages, I certainly don't have time in my appointment to do that. So I would say for my new patient, I do do the full series of photos with my camera. And then after that's done, if it's, if you're just talking about a filling or, or, you know, sort of mid prep, I actually just use an intro camera. Oh, God forbid, you know, God forbid is an intro, you know, but, but, but my feeling is it's a tool to get the message across to the patient of what I'm doing. And so, you know, pre-op, I take a little intraoral photo camera. Whilst I'm prepping the cavity, I might take a little one just to show the extent of what I'm doing or the caries. And then afterwards, I'll take a little photo of the pretty work that I, hopefully pretty, pretty work that I've done. And that's my day-to-day flow. And if I'm doing a bit more of an aesthetic case, 100% the DSLR comes out, especially for veneers and things, I will, you know, do the whole series of photos. But if you're just talking day-to-day routine stuff, and I tell my students all the time, I take pictures before and after I do a clean, like using an intraoral camera. I just do that for everyone. So 
I see nothing wrong with you using an intraoral camera, just, you know, the basic one that with a USB connected, it gets the message across. And if you're able and have a DA trained up to take the DSLR pictures with you, that's amazing. But I know very well that that's not practical for everybody. And so it's a mix for me because that's what works for me in my practice. And at the end of the day, if my patients can see what I'm doing and I can reflect on what I've done, that's that's what works for me. So yeah, just got to find what's what works for you. I do think I do agree with your comment about once you take a photo though because it's almost immortalized in that picture it does leave you a bit more accountable and it's a great reflection tool because one of the exercises that I started doing last week or the week before with one of my good friends as a way of just keeping each other accountable and being able to share our cases is okay we didn't think it was reasonable to document every single step of every single case for every patient throughout the day but we said that we would pick the most interesting or the most difficult case of the day and then document that properly and then we'd send it to each other at the end of the day and I guess this is perhaps a little tip for our listeners as well this is just an exercise I'm doing with my friend but I remember day one of doing that it put so much more pressure on me to do a good job as well Because I'm like, now I'm taking a photo of it and I have to send it to someone. But it was a great learning tool because otherwise I probably would have done a decent job. They've done a good job, but probably not gone that extra step to make sure everything was perfect. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's I think that's true. It's a really good learning tool, but I think people need to not get too caught up in getting that at the same time, you know, you still have a patient there. They probably don't want their mouth open for like two hours just so you can get the perfect DSLR shot of pre middle. And (laughs) you know what I mean? So for me, it's a good, it has to be a balance of like, how much is it for me and how much is it for the patient? And I try to get, you know, make it as comfortable of an experience for them as well. So yeah, that, that it's just finding the balance that works for you, but yeah, to, to be, you know, to be frank, I love an intraoral camera as much as I love my DSLR. So sorry to all the photo people out there. <laughs> <laughs> I think whatever works, it works, right? I think the, the main message though was that with photos, you can't really go wrong. Yeah, it's better than you not sh- taking you one. Should, you should invest. I, I 100% you should invest in a camera. That's, yeah, 100%. End of story. Yeah, yeah, As dentists and dental students, we all have difficult days. You may experience workplace or training demands that have a direct impact on your physical, emotional, and psychological health and well-being. This is exactly what dental practitioner support is for. It's a completely confidential and independently run service that's funded by the Dental Board of Australia in an effort to support practitioners and dental students right across the country. Sometimes people call just at the end of a long day to debrief, but sometimes they call because there's more challenging things going on. Dental practitioner support is there for you in these times to give proactive advice, help you improve your health and well-being before there are major concerns. We all need a helping hand sometimes, and it's okay to ask for help. So if you find you need it, call 1-800-377-700 or visit the website dpsupport.org.au. They have loads of great information to get you started. you'd hit a point where your posture and you know your way you were treating patients ended up having a toll and I know you've had an incident with your back 
and that really shaping, I guess, your thoughts and your trajectory in practicing dentistry. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, so I guess it 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 happened. When did it even happen? Now, I guess COVID is you know stuffed up my memory of, of time, <laughs> but you know, a couple of years ago now. I was still a, a decent new grad, I guess, a, a relatively new grad. And I was the type of person who would honest, quite, on, I guess, literally break my back for, for any patient that came through the door. And, and I think all of us can relate, whether you're a new grad, a student or an experienced dentist, you do sometimes have to see patients in the most awkward position. And I was never one to say no. I would just try and figure out a way whether it meant, you know, me, it was physically hurting me or whatever it was. I just thought I was doing right by the patient and I would figure out any way to do it possible. And yeah, it happened for me when I was trying to do an exo on a patient who couldn't lie back. And I was in such an, such an awkward position that I threw my back out and slipped a disc. And it's so odd for people to hear this because I really young when it happened right in my mid-20s and people were just like what why are you so young and how does that even happen but it can and I know people who've you know really hurt their neck their back whatever it is just from you know not having a great posture and that's repeated over a period of time obviously that d- didn't just happen at that moment for me I you know I'm sure it was over a period of time where I've been treating elderly patients or you know frail or immobile patients whatever it was and it happened and so I became quite jaded about being dentist at that time because I was upset that, you know, I I guess I'd been in so much pain from something that the patient didn't even really want to have done, if that makes sense. The patient didn't really, like, you know, no one really likes going to the dentist. So she was, you know, they probably didn't even want to have it done. And they were a bit like, oh, I don't really want to do this. And, you know, here I was trying to be a hero. <laughs> exactly. And so I got really like, oh, well, this sucks. You know, why, why did I... And, and it's the number one rule, isn't it? Don't care about the problem more than the patient does or else, you know, you, you start to feel a bit tired from, from your, from your work. Yeah, that, that's what happened. And I couldn't work for about three to four months. It was a pretty severe injury, I guess. I, I'm the type of person who like downplays things and I'm just like, ah, it's all good. It wasn't all good. Like I, I had numbness in, in, in my leg, like tingling sensation. I couldn't drive properly. I couldn't sit. I was either standing or lying down. Super awkward. And it gave me a lot of time to reflect, I guess, on my career trajectory. Like what was I doing? Because at the time I was really trying to find my place. I was really trying to figure out where in dentistry I wanted to go because at that time, I guess I didn't want to be a specialist anymore. You know, it, it, I felt I was too young to be a practice owner. And I didn't even think about that road. And I really didn't know what I was doing because as you said, there's not that much structure after you leave school. So I was really lost and that kind of really, you know, got to me. And on top of that, I had way too much time to think three to four months of just standing. <laughs> I was about yeah. to say sitting Not with my sitting. Yeah, I was about to say sitting with my thoughts, but I was standing. And yes. so, you know, that's what got me starting my podcast at the time. That's when I was trying to figure out, is dentistry really for me? And people will say that, you know, Kathy, you only started going down that track, you know, because you had an injury and, you know, it made it all terrible and la la la. But at the time I think now that I reflect, I was really burnt out. And I think that's what it was, is that I started to have I guess a bit of burnout in that I was always just caring far too much for my patients 
and it was really burning me out. And yeah, I started exploring like, okay, if dentistry is not it for me, what else can I do? And so that's why I started interviewing all these people who'd changed from a health career to something else. And it was so interesting for me because I was like, oh, actually as a dentist, there's so many things that you can do. And I'd always just sort of pigeonholed myself into like, I'm a dentist. But then I realized, hey, there's so many transferable skills and I didn't feel so, not not to say I wasn't lost, but I didn't feel so stuck anymore, I guess. I just started to realize there's a lot of opportunity and there's still so much room for growth because I think when I got injured, I was like, wow, like, am I, do I have to do this for another 50 years and potentially hurt myself again? Do you know, like it was very, it was very negative. And so I was trying to get myself out of that and try and figure out a way of like, how do I turn this into a positive experience? because I'm generally not, I'm not like that. You know, I try not, I try to like keep it moving. So yeah, that's, that's what happened with the podcast. I started to think, okay, actually there's so much variety in dentistry. You could do a lot of stuff that is outside of just clinical. And if you want to do clinical as well, that's awesome. But if you don't want to just do clinical, there is a lot. And even just talking to those people made that world of possibility a thing. And so as I physically got better, I was, I mentally came back into dentistry a lot happier because I didn't feel like, oh, you know, clinical is my life and that's how I define my success. I realized like, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm still a new grad. Like I'm not there clinically like confident yet, but I'm getting there and my success is not defined by that. And I was like, okay. You know, I was focusing so much on like, how do I get there, get there, get there? I was just, you know, super cliche, but I was just not figuring out in the moment. I was always looking ahead, like, what's my next thing? And every time I reached that next thing, I'd be like, oh, okay, what's the next thing? And I think it's because when you're in high school, when you're in uni, you're always looking for that next step, right? It's like the next goal, the next goal, the next goal. And that goalpost constantly shifts. And I never found satisfaction ever. And so after that moment, I started to just look at, my year in sprints I stopped looking at it in a year I'd be like okay this quarter I want to do this and then the next quarter I want to focus on this and then there was always some progression and I always felt like I was moving and I felt so much happier than like this year I want to do all of this and then once I get there okay now what do I do you know (laughs) so that's that's how it happened and that's you know it's a very brief sort of I guess I'm sort of touching on it quite briefly but that's the general gist of how how I got to a I guess a, a happier place with what I'm doing. Hundred percent. I guess with breaking down this story, I think it's such a wonderful story that we don't really hear all too often, but it does happen. And one of I think a comment that I wanted to make is that one of my biggest goals with the podcast and bringing on different people who have found different avenues in dentistry is that dentistry is so multifaceted. You know, we think that it's just treating patients, drilling teeth, but you can pursue so many different avenues, much like even you yourself, you've done, you know, you're a dentist, but then you are involved like more non-clinically with ADA. You've done your own podcast. And for anyone that hasn't heard of Dr. Kathleen Dong's podcast, The Inspired Professional, um, you don't do it anymore, but I wish you did because it's such a great one. It is on Um, pause, but I looked yesterday and realized it's been on pause for two years I'm so sorry. I will get back onto it, but yes. (laughs) All right. Keep your eyes out. We're having a comeback very soon. (laughs) Yep. 
but you've done that and you know you've obviously been involved in jogo wear as well which we'll touch on very shortly but it's just like yeah dentistry provides us a foundation that we can then springboard off in so many different directions for and yeah i think it's just the possibilities are endless and it's a message that i really want to drive home to our listeners as well but going back to when you said right before that incident happened where you slipped the disc did you ever have any inklings or any warning signs of like a back pain or it just happened out of the blue Honestly, nothing out of the ordinary. And that's scary to say. And I know people always ask me this question. Uh, I didn't realize that it was going to happen at all. And and that's scary to think about because it was so unexpected. We all get niggles. I don't know if you get niggles, but... I get niggles. Yeah. So that's why I'm scared. Yeah. No, no, no. Don't, don't be. <laughs> we all have little, you know, it, you know, sometimes you get a day when you go home and you're like, oh, just feel really sore, right? But then it goes away, you know? Yeah, that day just didn't go away for me. I sat down and couldn't get back up and I didn't even notice it happening. My dental assistant was the one like, I kept asking me if I was okay. And I was like, why do you keep asking me if I'm okay? I'm fine. And then I realized I couldn't get up. So, you know, not, not to be dramatic, but, you know, I always tell people now, make sure you have income protection because you just never know. And the second thing is move your body. Like, Pilates, walking, gym, stretch, whatever it is that you want to do, just get some form of physical exercise in because we literally sit all day. And it's just, it's difficult, isn't it? And now that I have had that happen to me and I'm recovered now, fingers crossed, touch wood, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I still make sure that I like do some form of movement, Pilates, gym, whatever it is, right? Just to just to make sure that I'm active and cutting down my days really helped for me. Like I found my perfect balance of three to four clinical days. I'm so present, so much more present for my patients. I'm like always there. I love seeing them. And I have the energy and the capacity to do it, you know, and, and that's where I realized I went fully, you know, off the walls was I was trying to work way too much. Cause you're just, I think, and I found it as well. I think within, this is obviously, as I've said, going into my fourth month, I resonated a lot before when you were talking about just like, you know, constantly looking forwards or what's the next thing that's going to happen? What's the next thing that's going to happen? Because I moved cities. So I moved to a whole new city to start working in Brisbane. And the last three months have been like so wonderful in that I've had so much going on, like obviously starting full-time work, but then having oh, this event or that event or this course or so many different activities that have just kept me busy. But it almost feels like there were distractions as well because it was just my brain was just constantly like on high function. And then I think it was just last week or when I finally had a weekend where I had no plans and it's like the dust settles, the music stops. I'm being really dramatic. No, no, no. I I just sat there and then I was like, what am I doing? Yep. (laughs) Yep. Like, is this it? Yeah. Like we've studied all these years and I've graduated and then – is this the rest of my life? And <laughs> I know I'm no, no, having no. an existential it's, it's crisis. It's not dramatic. <laughs> it's not dramatic. Um, I go through that yearly, of course. It's normal. It's it's part of the reflective process. But I, I, I was listening to something really interesting yesterday where it was based around like you have to figure out what tasks you like doing every day. And it's not just about like I'm a dentist or I'm a researcher or whatever, or I'm an academic, whatever it is. It's like what tasks do you see yourself doing every day that you don't mind doing and doing a little bit more of that so that you feel like you know you've got a bit more of a handle on things I realized how important that is and we can go into it sort of we have sort of gone into it before where you know I'm someone 
as my friends know, I've worked in a lot of different practices. I've worked in public, private, corporate, independent. I've pretty much worked in a lot of different types of practices, right? So the environment has changed, but I never felt that different, even though the environment changed because my daily tasks were similar. It was only when I started to change how I structured my book and the kind of procedures that I was doing, did I ultimately feel happier? So, so for example, I was trying so hard, like I said to you earlier, to do better endo and do better whatever, and just trying to fit all these different tasks in. And when I sort of customized my book a little bit more, for example, doing harder procedures at the start of the day and just finishing the day off with maybe some cleans or routine work, I go home feeling super relaxed because you know what? The hard stuff was out of the way way early in the day. I probably already forgotten about that before lunch, you know, whereas I, you know, before I had that kind of structure, I was just doing whatever it was during the day. And I would sometimes go home super stressed or sometimes just go home so exhausted. And I didn't know why. So it's, it's just small things that you can change throughout your day can really make such a big difference. And you just don't realize, and that's what keeps me going now. I'm just like, okay, hard stuff in the morning. And then chill stuff in the afternoon and then I'm so rather than taking it home yeah yeah so small things like that will help you I was just thinking about when you were talking about now after your recovery actually quick question yeah your recovery that was three to four months what happened during that period were you seeing a physio or what dictated how you went back to work oh yeah so it was a joint plan between my physio and my GP so pretty much I'd had scans done and then it was a lot of physio just so much so much work it was it was really uncomfortable you don't realize how much you use your back until you can't use it very much (laughs) and so it was just a lot of physio work I tried not to take too many painkillers because you know it's not great so I just was trying to deal with it (laughs) it slowly got better but it was honestly just weekly physio and a lot of those sort of at home remedial exercises to how it got better it was just I think after not working for so long I gradually the muscles around my back strengthened Um, so I uh, it's never going to be a hundred percent but it's pretty much normal you know and then that's just because I've strengthened everything else around it through pain (laughs) no I'm kidding (laughs) through through a lot of perseverance and patience yeah that's what happened so that that's all it was and then the GP just made sure that all my movements and the physio made sure all my movements were okay to work and that I felt okay too and when I got back to work honestly it was baby steps I had a wonderfully supportive work environment to to help me just adjust the types of patients and the types of procedures I did so I just really you know slowly moved back in yeah, easing your weight. Yeah, no exos no, for a while. That's no. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no standing up no, <laughs> for too long with your back no, hunched no, over, looking upside down. No, and and <laughs> I I actually am also appreciative in a way that it happened because now I have learned to say no when I can't do it. That's so like you just realize that sometimes you need to say no because you physically can't do it. And also, I've realized how to position my patients. Like sometimes patients say they can't lie back, but they can. You know, for the ones who really can't, that's fine. But some patients, it's a preference. But, you know, at the same time, you also have a preference. Yeah, and you have a preference too. It's like, so I can see. (laughs) So I think I need to start slapping my wrist or getting my DA to slap my wrist because I have a bad habit that when I'm scaling quadrant two, 
Oh, I do like you to use, slide? I hunt, I slide yeah. <laughs> and I look over and then now um, I have niggling back pain on my oh, uh, lower left-hand side, which it plays up once a month and I need to like roll it out. You get or do, some, so, do you get have refractive massage. loops? I do, okay, good. which is why good. I need to just use my indirect yes, vision you, and do you it need properly. To, yes, use your indirect <laughs> vision. Refractive loops are awesome. Everybody should be using them, I think. Um, yeah, just, just so that you save your back and your neck. Yeah, but I've noticed it. And funnily in love, um, I've always said that I wanted to get into Pilates. Everyone always says how great it is. And I had a patient, I've just been looking, trying to find a good studio. But one of my patients last week, she was telling me about it. Like, what's your studio that you go to? And she gave me a recommendation. So I went to my first class on Sunday, discovered that I have zero core strength. Yeah. And this is why your back hurts. Yep. And this is why my back hurts. It's Um, it's a sad realization, Erica. And it's one that I... Yeah, I I was all too aware of <laughs> when I when I did it. Yeah, it's it's terrible, but you know, the more you do it, the better it gets. So, keep at it. So, the goal is to continue to persevere to get through it. But the other thing, this is me, you know, trying to turn over a new leaf, get my life back together. But today, I went for a run in the morning, which is my first time running in like over a year. I know it's a new me. <laughs> but on my run today, this is my segue. This is a long-winded segue. Um was I listened to your episode with Omar Saba about Maison de Saba and how he turned from dentist into business owner. And as I was listening to it, I was like, how crazy this is. Because in that interview, you're asking him about how you know, he went from being a dentist and then transitioning into starting up his own brand. And you're like, wow, I can't believe, you know, you started from the ground with nothing, with his story, with his, him and his brother. And I'm like, but Kathleen, You've just done that <laughs> with Jago Wear. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you, what is it like to now be on the other end of that? And what is this origin story? Oh, how funny. Yeah. Now that I look <laughs> back, yeah, that, that did actually happen. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I started Jogo with a, a really good friend from ADSA, Cherie. Uh, she's also another dentist. Hey, Cherie. And honestly, it was just over over a conversation one day where she just wanted some scrubs and she was like, Hey, like I, you know, we were meeting up in Sydney and we we're talking about all these scrubs and things like that. I don't even remember exactly how it came about, but I can remember the date and we were having like Froyo uh, on a park bench and it was just one of those. How you get the brainstorm. Yeah, going, exactly. Eh? Actually, you know what? It was because I lost my license and I was getting a new license. So we were just waiting oh. for that. Anyways, yeah. sidetrack. So she was talking about these scrubs and at the time I think it was really difficult to get them or whatever it was there was like there was some difficulty there and then I was just like oh we just get our own made like it can't be that hard right (laughs) and then she was like are you like really yeah okay yeah that sounds all right like we are so green by the way so at this point it just came off as like another one of our crazy ideas because we talk, you know, you know how you and your friends say stuff like, oh, yeah, you come up with your random business exactly. ideas. It's like, <laughs> we should just make some, you know, whatever, whatever, like, let's just make a food truck, whatever it is. Right. So it was one of those things, but it just never went. Like we just kept talking about it and it just kept going. After a week, I think we had like come up with a design, had like a, drew some, you know, shoddy little sketch on my iPad, like, and we just kept talking about it and talking about it and talking about it. It just never went. And so we, I remember just us talking, being like, 
is this really happening? Like, are we really going to do this? And with us too, we're the type of friends where, you know, we talk about something, it just escalates. Like, I'm sure you have those friends where it just like five seconds later, it's just like, oh, we're flying over to a different country now to look at fabrics. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that, that's... Did li- that literally that happen? Literally or happened. Close to- oh look, my goodness. Yeah. I mean, honestly, we were going to Shanghai because firstly, I wanted to see Disneyland and we wanted to just go for a trip to Disneyland. And, you know, it was a side thing where I was like, you know, we should check out some fabrics because they're in Shanghai, they're known for like really good fabrics, a lot of suits and other sort of you know, clothing materials and things are made there. And so I was like, okay, let's just do it. Like, why not? And so, you know, come off a sketch and then we're looking at these fabrics and we just did that. And then we came home and it was a bit of a blur because I was like, did that really just happen? Like, did we really just do that? (laughs) And so it then became, you know, a bit of a, you know, process where we were just constantly looking at different fabrics and trying it on putting it through our own testing I remember when I went and I thought to myself I was so incognito but I went incognito with one of our samples to the clinic and put a gown over it so that people couldn't see that it was my top secret sample that no one knew about (laughs) so it wasn't even top secret (laughs) you're dramatizing it in your head exactly just to test it on me you know like is it going to be really sweaty when I wear it because I hated that when I wore scrubs and had a gown over it and it was a really drawn out process you know the whole when I said to you know when we looked at each other I can't be that hard it was hard it was so hard because firstly we didn't know anything about this you know? I was going to say, did you have any no. idea, any guidance? Or no. it was just that random idea you didn't think would actually come to fruition, no. right? <laughs> it was one of those things where we were like, can't be that hard. Oh, no, it was hard. We spent a long, long, long time trying to get it right. And and that was probably the hardest thing. And then, you know, COVID made it so terribly difficult. It came at the worst possible time for us, really. It made logistics so hard. We were still trying to finalize samples. And, you know, I figured out later that when when people design things, you don't get like eight different samples. You just like iterate on like one or two and then it's go to production. Oh, no, we got so many samples because you put two dentists together who were pedantic about millimeters of things and it just it started to get stupid you know I my (laughs) my own mum had to take us aside and be like okay like it's pretty good like just relax you know this is like a millimeter in clothing it's not like that you know there's there's a tolerance of you know two to four millimeters for certain measurements in dentistry if you had a tolerance of two to four millimeters like goodness that's just way out you know what I mean so it was such a massive learning curve and even doing things like social media or even like making the website, stuff like that. Like it was such an interesting outlet. I got to do it with a really close friend of mine and the end product was so happy with. It was, yeah, yeah. It was just such a, it's just such a fun journey to to get into it. And the best moment was when we launched was to see the end product after, and not to joke, two years or whatever it was of of, of effort and so much stress of someone just wearing it and appreciating it. It was something so special. And it, it's that kind of feeling that you get when you do like a veneer case and someone smiles and like, I'm so happy with it. You know, it, it was that similar sort of effect. And it's been such a happy passion project that, yeah, we, we, we're we really proud of what we've done with it. And it's been really, really incredible to see just random people wearing it. <laughs> 
if you're on the hunt to upgrade your current pair of loops, or if you're a student looking to invest in your very first pair, let's talk about Admitech Loops by Byron Medical. Last year, just about everyone around me was showing off their brand new pair of refractive loops with a wireless butterfly light that had just hit the market. I had to get on board and I'm pleased to say I've not looked back, or should I say down, since. Lightweight, sturdy and stylish, Admitech's Ergo Loops are designed to optimize your posture so you're not popping a disc trying to prep the distal of that 4.7. Level up your scales and cleans when you can actually see every tiny fleck of calculus fly off the tooth. With a tiny battery light that clips on magnetically and switches out seamlessly even mid-procedure, say goodbye to getting tangled in your wires and the painful indents on your nose bridge from having to support heavy loops. Biomedical are Australian-based and are quick and easy to get in touch with and address any issues you have. They'll even come out to your workplace for your initial consult and fitting session. So look no further, pardon the puns, and join the club. And if you mention Dental Head Start, they'll even throw in a special added bonus. hustle or a business that you wanted to pursue on the no. side or was it literally born out of just wanting scrubs yourself honestly it was born out of wanting it ourselves but then we realized that if you were to do custom scrubs you had to order like a thousand of them like you couldn't just make t- this is how clueless we were when we started I was like surely we can just get like a hundred you know like maybe you know you take a few um I'll take a few and then I'll get my friends to get a few and then we're good And then we started, you know, approaching people, approaching manufacturers. And then it was like, oh, oh, we need a thousand. Oh, okay. That, that, that minimum order quantity is just a little bit much. And so we thought, okay, let's just like start a little thing. And then, you know, if there's some interest or people really like it, then we can like get a few more made and sort and that sort of stuff. And so we started and the other, and the other aspect of it was we both really like content creation. So at the time, it's sort of similar to what I was doing podcast sort of side things, but we wanted to show people as well that dentistry is not just clinical. Like you can do these really interesting things. And we wanted to also highlight different clinicians who do something different outside of work. So at the start, we you were, had that more, yeah, more than meets the eye right. little segment, right? That's yeah. right. And we were, we were doing a lot of that. Obviously the social side of things was paused in the moment, but when we were doing a lot of that sort of stuff, it was very much trying to highlight to other professionals that, hey, you can be a health professional, but you can do all this other stuff. That was the content side of things that we really wanted to to do. Obviously, as more more people were buying scrubs, you realize like we could like our hands became full and we were just like, okay, like it's difficult to do all these different things. And like I said, it's it's a learning process. But at the end of the day, we were just so focused on getting the best product out. And now I realize as two dentists, that's difficult when you're looking so fine into detail. (laughs) That's just, I guess, the journey and we're really happy with it. And again, I'm really grateful to everyone who's purchased it and and likes wearing it and all that sort of stuff. It's awesome to see. It's really happy. It makes me really happy. So yeah. But it must feel so rewarding to see literally like your little passion project baby grow from an idea into something that now you walk around and you see people wearing. Hey? Yeah, it's really surreal. And at the end of the day, I there were so many moments that I didn't think it was possible. 
Like there was so, like when I say there's so many setbacks, it, it was so much harder than I ever thought it would be. But to have an idea and to see it like just be concrete, that part has been the most rewarding. And then to have people appreciate it as well, it's just the cherry on top. Like I think if we had just, you know, had the idea and then had it happen, I would have been happy already because it was something that we worked so hard for. But then to see people actually like wear it and then like, you know, support it, that really means the world. And yeah, it's just been great. I'm sure it would have also tapped into a separate side of your own personality and values as well. And that it's that creative aspect, something other than dentistry, exactly like what you were saying, like more than just being a health professional, you can have other ventures outside of dentistry as well. And I guess coming full circle back to our first question about like, you know, what did you want to do when you, when you're a child? I guess it's that creative aspect. Yeah, definitely. As well. Yeah, definitely. I think it really let Honestly, doing this made me really enjoy dentistry more. That sounds so bizarre, but you really forget how, how good of a job and how good of a profession dentistry is. It's just like predictable in a way. Do you know what I mean? Like you get to go to work, you get to do the things that I guess you all speak the same language, you all know sort of how to communicate. And at the end of the day, you do something really nice for your patient. And that's, and that's so results driven every day. You just kind of see the A to B every day. Whereas in something like what we were doing with Jogo, you don't get that satisfaction. It may be like weeks before you see a result or it may be months before you see Two a result. Two years. Really? Yeah. yeah, or even longer, right? And and that is just, yeah. you know, you really appreciate what you have. And I think going back to your first question about like, was it everything, was dentistry what you imagined? No, but I've really grown to appreciate it because after doing and it's taken me doing so many different things in my life but it's given me perspective and it's allowed me to be grateful for things I do like in it but I think if I didn't try all these different things I wouldn't have found that you wouldn't have it yeah it's until you've started looking at other things that you then appreciate and what you have right so Kathleen what does the future look like for you then right now you say you work three days clinically you're a big part of the ADA you tutor at CSU you've obviously got Jogo on the side as well do you see this as being life for the near foreseeable future or what do you see do you still have thoughts on specializing or is that long gone (laughs) (laughs) oh I think my thoughts on specializing are long gone I I look I'm I'm never say never but I'll yes yeah look that's probably not going to happen anytime soon look I think and I'll be really candid with you I have no idea And I'm actually okay with having no idea for the first time. And the reason for that is I've realized that me always setting a goal, just I just never, ever felt satisfied because reaching that goal is not the difficult part, right? It's like feeling satisfaction is the hard part for me. So if, if I reach a certain goal, I'm just like, okay, that was awesome. You know, and like we were saying earlier, what's next? So I, I think for the near future, I really want to enjoy what I'm currently doing. I'm really enjoying the work that I do with the ADA. I think that's really, really been quite rewarding. Teaching has been super rewarding. And in terms of clinical, I actually still, as, as we all know, find a lot of room to grow and I want to do some more interesting cases. You know, I'm doing implant course finally at, at, at the moment and, and, um, you know, just growing a little bit, bit by bit on certain procedures that I still want to try. And and that to me is the, 
is the beauty of it is that I'm instead of trying to, I guess, find this huge overarching picture of like, I want to be this in X amount of years. I'm just looking a little bit more in the moment now being like, Hey, I want to kind of get a bit better at this, or I want to do a bit more of this and, and doing the things that I enjoy doing. So I guess that was a roundabout way of saying to you, I have no idea and that's okay. But I think, I think I want to just keep doing what I'm doing. And to be honest with you, try more things outside of dental again to get me some more perspectives. So, you know, if you, if you ask me, I guess if we have the same conversation in a year's time, might be something different again. Might be different. Yeah. Might might have added (laughs) something else. Pursue music and writing your own book. (laughs) Yeah. I've, I've created my own game. I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? Right. That Game um, Boy. (laughs) Yeah. I I don't know. I'm, I'm always curious. I love doing a variety of things and I think that's what's exciting I know like I said some people really like sticking to what they what they want to do that's awesome as well but I I I struggle with that I know so I just try to do lots of different things and it keeps my life interesting and yeah we're all doing our own things so it's okay to do something different and I always say that because I'm clearly always doing something different (laughs) you made a comment about how you know not necessarily like being comfortable with not looking forward to something because the goalpost constantly moves and just taking in what you have at the moment. And I think it was just last Monday, I was listening to a webinar with Dr. Cajun Chia and he was talking about the concept of gratitude and everyone talks about gratitude. Yeah, I'm like, oh, they here do. we go again. <laughs> I need to be grateful for my life. But I love the <laughs> perspective that he gave and actually ended up talking to my mom about it because he said he broke it down in a way that actually like resonated with me. And he said, the point of gratitude is that, you know, I guess we have to find a fine balance of having goals and having, you know, aims and ambition. But then on the flip side of that is if we're always so focused on that, then really it's the recipe for being disappointed because you always have expectations of what there is and people will never meet people or yourself or whatever it may be, circumstances, life will not necessarily always meet that expectation. But if you're just grateful for the outcome that you get you're just grateful for things going or just being there and appreciating whatever it may be you know be grateful that you had a patient to who came and saw you and trusted you to take care of your tooth as opposed to expecting that you know you were going to completely you know do a full mouth rehab or something crazy on them right oh that sounds Um, like not yeah that that does not sound like my (laughs) cup of tea anyway but yeah no I I take your I 100% take your point I think gratitude is in many ways and Cajun definitely I'm sure he articulated it very wonderfully he's really good much better than I did as well yeah I I feel you on that one he's so articulate but I think the the biggest thing is also like it's it's hard to be grateful in that moment dentistry is very stressful it's mentally, physically taxing. You are working in such a small space. You're working with the same people, a small team, and you're working constantly with people who don't want to be there, right? Generally. Okay. Some people really like to be there, which I love, right? Awesome. But at the same time, you have to understand that you're a pretty awesome person to be able to one, convince someone to do something they don't really want to do every day, day in, day out, make them feel comfortable within like five seconds of meeting them and doing something like so physically and mentally difficult. That's really awesome. Like you're doing really well. It just takes a little bit more time every day to get a little bit better at it. And that's fine. But you know, you're already starting somewhere pretty well done. And I, I think 
you got to give yourself a bit more credit. We're all really harsh on ourselves. I'm such a hypocrite. I'm so harsh 100%. on myself. But <laughs> you should be less yeah. harsh on yourself. That's all. And I think that in itself is being grateful. It's like, hey, I'm not that bad. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm okay. That's that's all that matters, I think. Kath, I think that's a really lovely sentiment that we've ended it on here. But a question that we ask all of our listeners, all of our guests who join the show to talk to our listeners who are all dental students and new grads at the very beginning of their year is just if you had one piece of advice or one little pearl of wisdom that you would like them to all take away after this episode, what would that piece of advice be? Oh, that's a tough one. Just one piece of advice. Hey, I would say the main thing is, and this is actually cliche for me to say because I say this all the time, but don't let the word dentist define you. I would say that is my biggest piece of advice. We get very caught up in letting our, I guess, clinical life define our version of success. And I think that our personal self-worth and our definition of success shouldn't just be tied into us being a dentist. So that's, I think, why I'm so big on you finding things outside of just your professional life to, to also focus on because it really gives you that perspective. And I think you'll feel a lot better at the end of the day when you don't just define yourself as being just a dentist. There's more than meets the eye. Hey? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Look, I wasn't going to say that, but I firm- <laughs> I firmly believe that. That's that I think when I stop just thinking about myself as, you know, a dentist and it's it's an awesome thing to think about. It's a really wonderful profession. I'm grateful to be a part of it, but it doesn't define me. And there's more to my life than just that, and I think that makes me a better clinician and I think it gives me perspective on being more caring and all that sort of stuff with my patients as well. So yeah, that's my piece of advice. And I think it'll, it'll also help you grow too and not get stuck in that, you know, sometimes that doom and gloom tunnel that we get stuck in, in our first few years out. So yeah. Definitely. Well, Kath, thank you so much for spending your evening and joining us on the podcast. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed our chat. Thank you so much for listening to the Dental Head Start podcast. I genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist. So if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists. Thank you.